like you and me. He's, he's living to pay the bills. And there they are, the house and the cars and the fashion and the education and then the credit cards and then the interest and then the hobbies. And finally, there's a little bit of discretionary spending at the end and then what does he remember? Oh, oh yeah. What is his main mistake? You know what his big mistake is in that video clip that's very powerful? That mistake is that he has God at the end of the list. And he's trying to figure out what to do with his leftovers and whether or not giving to the Lord's kingdom has any part in his finances. Consideration for the kingdom of God, for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ comes, for him, comes at the end of the table, at the end of the list, in the last piece of pie. But do you know the verse in Proverbs 3, verse 9, which is our text for this morning? Proverbs 3, verse 9 says this. Pay close attention. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Did you hear that? Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Not the leftover of what you have in your discretionary account. The first fruits. God does not desire the crumbs that fall off our table, apparently. And what he's talking about is this kind of, and, and the whole of Scripture, from the Old Testament with Moses and the building of the tabernacle and Solomon and the building of the temple and Paul in the funding of the ministry for Jesus Christ, they all say the same thing, that there needs to be this intentional, systematic, proportional commitment to sharing what you have to that end. And you don't slice up the pie and then give to God and His work as an afterthought. This question that we ask is, who is number one? And maybe somebody told you, kid, this life is rough, and in this life, you need to look out for number one. And who is number one when they tell you that? What they're saying is you've got to look out for yourself because nobody else is going to look out for you, right? Who is number one? In this church, we believe that your life is like a bicycle wheel. <laughs> and on your, in your life are all kinds of spokes. And we say that this spoke is your family life. And this spoke is your finances. And this spoke, well, that's your hobbies. This spoke is your education. This spoke is your sexuality. And this spoke is how you get along with boyfriends or girlfriends or husbands or wives. And um, 
Some people say, and this spoke is my religion, right? My religion is one spoke on the wheel. See, that's the way so many people think in Western civilization. But what does Jesus Christ say? Jesus Christ says, I'm not going to be a spoke on your wheel. Except he has a much more gracious tone of voice than that. Jesus Christ says, I'm not a spoke on your wheel. What am I? I am the hub of the wheel of your life. And I am to be then the one who redeems and transforms every spoke on the wheel of your life. And so if you struggle with your sexuality, let Jesus be the hub of your wheel so that there's healing and redemption. If you struggle with your parenting and how to raise your children, Jesus says, let me be the Lord over that. And if you wrestle at work with a a ridiculous boss and you don't know how to answer to them, Jesus says, let me be the hub of your life and help you at work. And when it comes to your wallet, he says, when it comes to your checkbook, when it comes to your money, he says, let me be the hub of the wheel of your life and teach you from my word what to do. And by now, in our discipleship as a a church, we're committed to that, aren't we? It's the only way to live. Now, I have a little PowerPoint presentation. Wes, if you'd bring that up here, because uh, I want to explain this with a story I read this week by a man named Rick Gillespie, and, and what he uses as a teaching tool are these, French fries. And he tells the story of a man named James and his five-year-old son, Jimmy, and James goes to his five-year-old son, and he says, Jimmy, what would you like t- today? What can Daddy do for you? And Jimmy says, I would love some McDonald's French fries. And James is so excited to bless his son, they climb into their truck and off they go to McDonald's and he sees his son, he's licking his lips and he just can't wait to get there and taste those golden French fries and the salt and the grease and the carbs and oh, it's just everything we carb addicts love. And so they get in there and dad goes up to the counter and he says, we'll have an order of French fries. And then to Jimmy's delight, he says, supersize them. And they sit down at the table, father and son, and they say grace. And it's the fastest grace you ever heard. It goes like this. God, thank you for this food. Amen. And that was too long for Jimmy. And he dives into the French fries. And he's just so enjoying them. And dad loves seeing his son enjoy the French fries. And dad's going to join in. And he says, I'd like a few of your French fries too. And as he reaches out his hand... Jimmy lunges across and wraps his arms around the french fries and says, these are mine. And the dad says, what was going on in Jimmy's mind right then? Was Jimmy thinking to himself uh, that he provided these french fries? Did he forget that A minute and a half ago, I took out my wallet and (laughs) I gave him those French fries with with my generosity to him. Did Jimmy think, really think, that I'm at six foot one, 210 pounds, that his scrawny little arms could stop me from taking a French fry with a fort that he built around them? What was he thinking? Did Jimmy really? 
forget that I didn't need his french fries. If I needed his french fries, I'd get, I, you know, I, I, I don't need them. I can go right back to the counter and I have enough money. I could buy a, a table full of french fries if I needed to. What was Jimmy thinking? And the dad said, all I wanted to do was participate in his joy and allow him the joy of inviting me back into the blessing that I first gave him. That's what I wanted. Because I'm a generous father. And are the parallels clear, my friends? God is a generous God. God is a generous father. And he has given all of you French fries. And he's given some of you a small French fry, and some of you he's given a medium French fry, and some of you he's even supersized it. And that's a wonderful thing, perhaps. But whatever he did, he's, he's given you all French fries. Some of them are, are light and thin, like at McDonald's. Some of them are dark and robust, like at Five Guys. Some of them are curly and seasoned, but he's given us all French fries. And if you have the impulse to throw your arms around them and say, I'm not sharing these with you, Father, then you need to think again because Proverbs 3, verse 9, says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of what you have. You know, I, I want to tell you, um, Nina and I do not put a check in the offering plate every week. You know why? Because we get paid twice a month. So, twice a month, we give a check to the church. And it's not because on those off Sundays we don't feel like worshiping God. It's 1 Corinthians 16 says, give and proportion to your income, and that's how we get our income. But on then the, those alternate weeks, the first check we write, not the last check, is North Shore Community Church. And why would we do that? We do that because of all the churches on Long Island, we know that this is a worshiping community. And we want the name of the Lord to be glorified. And we know that this is a missional community that's reaching out locally and nationally and globally. And we want to participate in that. And we know that this is a nurturing community. And if you were here last night, you saw and sensed the love and appreciation and respect and tender care we have for one another. If you look at the bulletin and all the small groups and life-on-life -life discipleship, you know that we are a nurturing community. And that's worth the first fruits, the honor of God, the message of the gospel, and the care of God's people. So we'll honor the Lord with our wealth, the first fruits of our possessions here at the North Shore Community Church. And we pray, I pray, that you will too. Now, it leads to this second question. In your bulletin, you can see it. It's this question. Are you a river or a reservoir? Paul writes, Paul says in Acts 20, 35, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And what Jesus says again and again in the Gospels, too many times for me to read them all here, is that our blessing is to be a channel so that what we have received expands the kingdom of God, not to hoard it, but to be a channel. Now, have you ever had a clogged drain in the bathroom sink? What's it like inside the trap? Does anybody know? Anybody besides uh, uh, Kenny Malloy or um, uh, uh, Elias Anchundian know what's actually inside a clogged trap in the sink? Ugh. It's not very nice. It's clogged with hair and with gunk that's decomposing, and it just sits in there. I think I've left that picture up long enough. Our hearts get clogged, and we become a reservoir rather than a river with our blessings. What do you do when the sink is clogged? Well, here's what I do. The unhandy man that I am, I buy Drano. I buy Drano. And you pour Drano down into the drain. And do you know what happens? Drano is amazing stuff. You take those crystals and you mix it with what kind of water? Cold water. Not hot water cold water. And when Drano crystals meet cold water, it creates a physical reaction that generates heat that melts the gunk. And then you give one final flush with cold water and it pushes the junk out of the clogged drain and the water runs freely again. And my friends, forgive my Shallow, preacherly illustration. Jesus Christ is Drano to your clogged hearts. Am I right? What is the only thing that can unclog your heart? It is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus. It is the love of Jesus that functions like Drano. And if you're here today and you've not yet been able to participate cheerfully, willingly, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Nobody's twisting your arm and nobody's holding, holding the long stick out in front of you. But it's still, if you're honest, you say, I'm stingy when it comes to funding the kingdom of God then you need the prayer of the Drano prayer. This is the Drano prayer from Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. What is the Drano? It is that God loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son so that you, you who believe in Him, should not perish. You will not be cast into hell. You will not be lost for eternity. You will not be cut off from God, but instead He will say, Welcome, come into the joy of your Master. Come, come and feast at the wedding banquet of the Lamb forever and ever and ever. 
And may the glory and, and the air of glory in heaven, the Holy Spirit Himself, fill your lungs for eternity. For that's the key to eternal life. You will be breathing in, as it were, the glory of God and the Holy Spirit Himself, the Shekinah itself, and you will live forever. That is the Drano for you and for me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when that happens, you become like a friend of mine named Bob Hurt. Bob is an old buddy from Philadelphia. Bob Hurt's a regular businessman like many of you. The thing that I remember most about Bob is he says, I love the springtime. When he says, I love the springtime, I'm thinking to myself, because he loves the Forsythia. And by the way, the Forsythia are out on the Northern State Parkway. It's just magnificent, isn't it? I said, Bob, what do you love about the springtime? And he said, I love springtime because that's when I get all those requests from young people going on mission trips. And he says, nothing excites me more than to get a letter from a young person who's going on a mission trip. And I can write a check and put it in an envelope and send it to them. And he said, I never, I never say no to any young person who's going out to serve the Lord. And he he uses words like fun and joy when it comes to writing out a check in order to mobilize people for ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. And, And every year in any church I've ever been a part of, That's what we do. We send people on mission trips and we support missionaries and and we're just so excited about all of that. And Bob uses words like fun, enthusiastic, and he is a river. He's not a reservoir. And that leads to the third question then, and it's this question, who has whom? You see, Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, honor the Lord. Why should you honor the Lord? It says you should um, give because it's more blessed to give than receive. Why? And the answer, you see it in the bulletin, is in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And it says there that Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. And there's the answer. It is the gospel, that expulsive power, the Drano, one more time. Because you don't live for yourself anymore. If you're a Christian, you live for Him who loved you and gave Himself for you. For Him who died. He died for you. Last week, we learned a new word. It is the word propitiation. That Jesus Christ is the propitiation for my sins. When's the last time you used the word propitiation in a sentence? It says in 1 John chapter 2 that Christ, and it's sometimes translated as the atoning sacrifice, but that's not good enough because the word propitiation means that Jesus Christ, not only by His shed blood, Paid the price for your sins. All my sins are forgiven. Wow. That's, That's good. But 
We said, still, is God up there looking annoyed at me? Yeah, I had to pay for your sins. Remember that picture of the scowl on the face of that man? And some of you think that's the way God looks at you. But you see, the word propitiation does not merely mean expiation, not just payment made for the sin. But propitiation is a legal term which means that the other person is now satisfied with you and his smile is now upon you. And he's pleased. It's not just like you got, if your arm was cut off in an accident and you received damages for the loss of your arm, but you're still without the arm and you're, you're going to live your life with the phantom pain the rest of No, it is as though it's all made new and you have a new arm and a better arm and you're smiling inside. And that's what propitiation means. Jesus has done that for you and restored you to a right fellowship and relationship with God so that when He looks at you, Zephaniah 3 18 says, He rejoices over you with singing. God is singing over you today. God is delighting in you today. God is so happy He made you and remade you in Jesus Christ. He's just utterly delighted. Like, a, like well, where was I this week? I was with my granddaughter, Evelyn Marie, out in Iowa. And as she is learning to walk and taking those little steps, she reaches out her hands and falls right into my arms. And who do you think smiles when that happens? I do. And so does God when He thinks of you because Jesus Christ is the propitiation. Oh, the old Puritans say, the wrath of God is assuaged, it is turned away, and the smile of the Father is on His children. Because Jesus Christ died for you and rose again and settled the debt. Now the question is, who owns whom? Does the Lord own you? Or does money own you? Did I just shock you? I didn't mean to insult you. But where is your greatest loyalty? in your life. The great preacher Haddon Robinson said, it's a bit like the fly and the flypaper. Do you know what flypaper is? Does anybody here, is anyone besides me old enough to remember flypaper? Flypaper. In a, the farm where I grew up, uh, this was before bug zappers, flypaper is this gooey, sticky roll that gets unrolled and you tack it up uh, in the room and you know what happens? It's sweet. It's sweet. And the fly is buzzing around in the flypaper and he sees the flypaper and he says, my flypaper, zap! And he lands on it and it is delightful. Oh, he loves the gooey honey. My flypaper, says the fly. But Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And you know what? He's talking to his disciples here. He's not talking to them out there. He's talking to us in here. He's saying, you actually need a warning to be on your guard against greed. 
what, nice people like you, generous people like you, put all that money in the plate over all these weeks? He says, you know, he says, watch out. And I'll tell you why. Because as sweet as my little granddaughter is, and I love her, nobody is going to have to teach her how to say, mine! Am I right? Do you ever have to teach a little child to say, mine! You don't have to teach anybody to say that. You don't have to teach adults to say it. You don't have to teach teenagers to say it. We have to teach teach ourselves to be generous, to be self-forgetting, to be self-denying. That's what we have to learn. And so, who owns who? The flypaper or the fly? There it is. That's nasty stuff. Jesus Christ says money is like that flypaper. You initially think you own it, but if you don't guard your heart, it owns you. Would you ask God to cleanse your heart today? I know you've heard this, heard it a hundred times. How do you catch a monkey? How do you trap a monkey? You know what they do? They tie a pot with a thin neck with a rope on it. They put a rope around the neck, thin neck of a pot in some of the uh, Polynesian islands. And then they put a banana inside. And the monkey comes along. What does the monkey do? The monkey sticks his hand down inside and grabs the banana. And then they got him. He can't get away. Why can the monkey not get away? Because he will not unclench his fist to squeeze his hand back out. The fist creates a circumference that can't get out of the top of the jar. And so the monkey's hand is stuck inside, and he just can't get it out. So he's stuck there until they come back and they catch the monkey, with or without the cell phone. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him who loved us and gave Himself for us, who died for our sins. Will you stand with the church? Will you stand with the church in the first fruits of your possessions? I know someone will say, I don't like to give to the church. I just want to give directly to leadership training. But if you give to the church, you'll be giving to leadership. Someone else says, I don't want to give to the church. I want to give to youth ministry. But if you give to the church, you will give to youth ministry. And someone else says, I don't want to give to the church. I want to give to the poor. But if you give to the church, you give to support the single moms and the widows and the orphans and those who are in hard times in the life of our fellowship here. Do good to all, but especially, Paul says, to the household of faith, our household of faith. We are not perfect, North Shore Community Church. We are not Okay, I'm the first in line to say that. I know that. And if you say, well, I can't give to North Shore Community Church because it's not perfect, well then, I guess you can't give. (laughs) But you won't find anyone to give to then. In Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, there was a Sunday school that was so overcrowded that a little girl couldn't get in to the school. 
on Sunday morning. So she went home, and she collected her pennies, and she said, I'm going to give my money so they can build a bigger Sunday school. She got 57 pennies, and then she died. And they found a note in a jar with her 57 pennies. It says, this is so they can build a new Sunday school that's big enough for all the children who want to go. And they gave the 57 pennies to the pastor named Russell Conwell. Russell Conwell shared with the congregation what happened. A real estate agent found them a piece of land and sold it to them for 57 pennies. And then the word went out. And they built a ministry where today there are 3,300 people worshiping on a Sunday morning. And it started Temple University and Good Samaritan Hospital. And Russell Conwell became the founder of a theological seminary now known as Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, one of the greatest institutions in the Christian world. Because of a little girl, 57 pennies. Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's how we live in our life. Will you stand with us? For Jesus' sake, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given me today of preaching on stewardship. And forgive me that it's been two years, Lord. I'm sorry. I pray, Lord, that the French fries that you give us would not be hoarded. We pray that you would make us rivers, channels, that you would unclog the drain that plugs up and makes my heart stingy. Maybe someone is here Lord, and they, they feel, they feel out of control. They feel as though what they need is, they just need, they just have no pie left at the end of their month. There is nothing. Will you teach us, Lord, how to rearrange our financial life? Lord, if there are some who are in need, would you help us to help them? Would you make us generous to them? That that it would be for this church more blessed to give uh, than just to receive. I just thank you that the Father loved us and gave His Son, and that it says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. So would you make us like you? As we come to communion now, Lord, We are asking you to address this particular spoke on the wheel of our life. Some of us need need to be generous and not stingy. Some of us need a better job, Lord, where we can earn more. Some of us need to be honest about our spending and the allocation of our resources, which may be out of control. I don't know. But you know, Lord, and would you now do business with us? Would you do business by forgiving us so that we wouldn't leave out, leave here just being guilty? But would you plant within us now 
by the bread and the wine, by the gifts you've given to us, would you plant in us a new generous spirit? Oh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. If the elders would come forward.